right. Thank you, Steve. Hopefully everybody can see me. Uh, we did some work this week, especially Keith did some work work this week on trying to uh, figure out a way to combine uh, our live streams and uh, to make our audio and video a little bit better. Um, if you think our audio sounds better than normal, give a thumbs up right now just to let us know. Uh, that would be nice. Um, but yeah, we're really trying to improve the live stream experience as much as we can and get ready, get rid of any of those elements that make it clunky and, you know, distracting as we're just trying to do our best to have a good, uh, a good worship experience here. So I hope you guys are all doing well. I miss seeing your faces. Um, believe it or not, this is our eighth week doing this. So we're, we're coming up now on two months of this abnormal way of life. Uh, maybe for you, time is passing unusually quickly. Uh, maybe it's passing unusually slowly. Uh, whatever the case, uh, this weird way of life is probably affecting your perception of time in some way. Um, but um, I, I hope that you are hanging in there, that you're doing okay. And again, uh, both Keith and I really miss seeing you guys. So over the last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, you know that we uh, have been studying the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And this week I thought, well, why don't we just keep going in the Sermon on the Mount? So if you have your Bible, open up to where we left off last week. We left off in Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 13. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. And as you make your way there, let me say a quick prayer for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and in worship. And Lord, we just pray that right now you'd help us to be attentive, that you'd open our hearts to be able to receive from you. Uh, we welcome your Holy Spirit to speak to us, God, to direct us, to um, enlighten us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd use this morning uh, to help us know more uh, what we're on earth for and what we're made to do and to know you better. And um, we just thank you for, for this beautiful morning that you've made. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we read the passage, I want to start with a rhetorical question, which is, how would you describe yourself? When, when that question is asked, what are the first words that come into your mind? Uh, maybe they are words that describe uh, just basic information about yourself, like your age, uh, where you're from, your ethnicity, uh, your gender, that kind of thing. Or, or maybe the words that come to mind have more to do with your human relationships, you know, maybe your marital status, or whether you're a father or a mother, uh, or a son or a daughter or a grandparent, something like that. Or maybe what comes to mind is more uh, descriptors of how you spend your time, like your occupation, what you do, uh, at least eight hours every day on average. Uh, or maybe uh, your hobbies, like I'm a guitar player, or I'm a gamer or something like that. Or maybe what comes to mind are positive descriptors of yourself, things that you like about yourself, like uh, I'm smart or, or you think I'm attractive or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind or empathetic or, or something like that. You know, on the other hand, maybe the words that come to mind are really negative. Like, I'm a failure. I'm ashamed. Um, I feel like I'm, I've, I've wasted opportunities in my life, that sort of thing. Maybe that comes into your head. 
Or maybe the words that come to mind have to do with your relationship to God and your faith. Maybe the first thing you think is, I am a follower of Christ, or I belong to God's family, or I am a sinner saved by grace. And what I want us to recognize is that the words that come to our minds, the, what we think about ourselves, is very, very important because what we believe to be true about ourselves has a profound impact on the way we live. Profound impact on us. And the passage that we're about to look at, in it, Jesus is going to tell his followers who they are. That's the way I want us to think about this. Jesus is telling his followers who they are. So that means if you identify as a follower of Jesus, as we read this, you should hear Jesus speaking to you and saying, this is the way that I want you to think about yourself. Okay, so let's look at the passage. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So how does Jesus want us to think about ourselves? He gives two metaphors here. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. So what do these metaphors mean? Well, let's start by looking at the first one. You are the salt of the earth. Now, this is a really rich metaphor because I think that we can appreciate it from at least uh, three angles. So. If you're taking notes, uh, I have a low-tech slide for us. Uh, three three uh, things that I want us to keep in mind when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, is that salt preserves, it flavors, and it inspires thirst. So salt preserves, it flavors, and it inspires thirst. So first, let's talk about uh, preserve. Back in first century Jer Jerusalem, if you had some raw meat and you wanted it to keep, you obviously couldn't just put it in the freezer, right? Uh, refrigeration wasn't even invented until I think the mid 20th century. So for a long time, if people wanted to preserve food and especially raw meat, their best chance of doing that was to cover it in salt because salt acts as a preservative. Um, so you don't want your meat to rot, you cover it in salt. And so when Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he's saying, you are meant to keep the earth from rotting. Uh, you are meant to preserve the goodness in the world. Societies can rot, like raw meat left out in the sun. Uh, any society that doesn't believe the Beatitudes, Jesus's statements about blessings right before this, about what is blessed. Any society that doesn't believe the Beatitudes is guaranteed over time to rot. Uh, hopefully you remember those Beatitudes that we looked at over the last two weeks, uh, but quick review. What I mean is when a society does not believe that God is with the poor in spirit, that God is, is with the humble and the people who have come to the end of their rope, the people who are burned out. When a society doesn't believe that, that society rots. When a society doesn't believe that the meek are blessed, 
that the people who are nonviolent are blessed, that society rots. When a society doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness, when it stops caring about what's right and what's wrong, and when it has no longing to do the right thing, that society rots. When a society is unmerciful, when it has no compassion for the weak, when it just embraces a survival of the fittest kind of ethic, that society will rot. When a society has no purity of heart, when all it cares about is keeping up appearances but not actually doing what's right, that society rots. When a society doesn't care about seeking peace but just cares about seeking selfish gain, that society rots. And when a society doesn't believe that it's blessed to be persecuted, in other words, when a society stops believing that it is worth suffering to do what is right, that society inevitably rots. And Jesus is saying, you, you my followers, you are the salt, right? When a society does not recognize what true blessing looks like, when it doesn't recognize the Beatitudes, it devolves into a horror show. And Jesus is saying, you are the people who refuse to, to succumb, to give in to this survival of the fittest, might makes right rat race horror show. You are the people that preserve the goodness of society. You are the salt of the earth. One of my favorite, most dramatic examples of a Christian being the salt of the earth is uh, William Wilberforce. You might be familiar with the story of Wilberforce. He, uh, he lived from 1759 until 1833. And for 46 years of his life, he worked tirelessly to end the slave trade in Great Britain. And you can tell when you study Wilberforce's life that he really believed, blessed are the merciful. Uh, because when he realized what a horror slavery was, and, and what the slaves were put through, his mercy could not allow him to let society continue to rot in that way. And because he believed that blessed are the persecuted, he had strength to be able to fight against that injustice, even when he encountered extreme resistance decade after decade after decade. And his persistence paid off. It worked because three days before he died, parliament voted to end the slave trade in Britain. They voted to stop that decay, that rot in their society. When we follow Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. Now, like I said, that's a really dramatic example. It might even be a little bit uh, intimidating, but don't let it intimidate you. I mean, we work to preserve society in all kinds of ways. If you're a parent and you're doing your best to raise your kids and instill in them the values of the kingdom of God, you are working to preserve society. Uh, if you have a job and you do that job well, you are working to preserve society. Every time that you don't return evil for evil, you work to preserve society. And I think we should even think of our prayers like grains of salt falling on the earth, working to preserve society. So number one, salt preserves. What's the second thing that salt does? Salt flavors. Almost everything tastes better with salt on it. Amen? Amen. Salt uh, is remarkable because it has this power to actually bring out flavor that's already in the food. It's 
I've read things that scientists have written about this, that there's something that goes on when salt is on food, uh, something about the way our taste buds react to it and the way our, it registers in our brains, where we don't taste the salt as salt, but we taste it as bringing out the flavor that is in the food uh, that the salt is on. For example, when you put the right amount of salt in uh, bread dough, when you eat that bread, you don't think, oh, this bread tastes salty. You just think this is really good bread. And that's what salt does. Salt has this power to bring out the flavor uh, in various kinds of foods. And so what Jesus is saying is that we are supposed to bring out the good flavor in God's world. Uh, we're supposed to reveal the goodness in God's creation, just like salt brings out the good flavor in foods. So if you think of life like a meal, we are supposed to be people who make that meal tastier. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul uh, describes speech that is full of grace as speech that is seasoned with salt. And what he's saying there is graceful speech makes life, in a sense, tastier, right? Every time our words are filled with grace, they make life tastier. Every time our words are filled with um, forgiveness, every time that they're filled with patience, every time that they are free of condemnation and accusation and, and, and full of encouragement, they are seasoned with salt. They make life better. They make life tastier. Now, sin makes the world taste bitter, if we're going to continue this metaphor. Uh, but whenever we make the world a little more compassionate, a little more just, a little more encouraging, even a little more fun, uh, we make it tastier. We function as the salt of the earth. And every time we point people to the gospel, to the reality that there is a creator who loves them and who is redeeming the world, every time that we do that, uh, we point them to an understanding of life that is tasty, to continue that, that metaphor. I mean, think of the alternatives to viewing uh, the world other than the gospel. You know, one way of viewing the world is that there's no God. Uh, but if there's no God, life is ultimately a journey from nothing to nothing for no ultimate purpose, right? And when you think about it, that is a bitter way of looking at the world. Not tasty, bitter, right? Another option is that there is a God, but he doesn't care about justice or about all the evil and suffering in the world. That's another bitter way of looking at the world, right? Not tasty, because all of us experience injustice, suffering, evil in the world. And part of us wants a God that's going to care about that stuff and, and that's going to do something about it, right? So that's a bitter way of looking at the world. But then the other option that there is a God and he does care about justice and he does hate evil, that can be a bitter way of looking at the world too, because if we're honest, we know that all of us have contributed to the injustice and evil in the world. So what if that God is going to hold us accountable? Is he going to be forgiving? See, this is another way to view the world that can be bitter, not tasty. But the gospel is the only way to view the world that isn't bitter, that isn't fundamentally bitter, right? Because the gospel says that there is a God. Life is not a meaningless journey from nothing to nothing, uh, for nothing. And there is a God, and he does care about justice. He is holy, but he is also loving and forgiving and graceful 
He is not eager to destroy us, but he's eager to save us. And the reason we know that is because what he has done through Jesus Christ, that is the gospel. The gospel tells us that by becoming human and suffering and dying on a cross, we can see how seriously God takes justice, right? Because uh, sin incurs penalty. When, when we sin, it's like there's, there, there are consequences, inevitable conse consequences. It incurs a debt. And what we see when Jesus is suffering on the cross is how seriously God takes sin because we see that penalty coming upon Jesus. We see him uh, taking on that debt. So we see how seriously Jesus takes justice and evil, right? But at the same time, we see how loving and graceful God is because God, through Jesus, takes that debt, takes those consequences upon himself. He takes them in our place, right? So the gospel says there is a God, he is just, and he is loving, right? Any other understanding of reality is bitter, fundamentally bitter. But when we see the world and our lives through Jesus Christ, through the lens of the gospel, it is tasty. It's meaningful, right? There is real jo joy and there's real hope, even in the midst of sorrow and evil and injustice. And that brings me to the last thing that salt does. So salt preserves, salt flavors, and finally, salt inspires thirst. Now, what's that have to do anything? Well, when you eat a lot of salt, you want to drink something, right? And that's relevant because Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Uh, Jesus wants us to see our, our spiritual condition as one of thirst, right? Our spirits long for things that we don't have in our natural state, right? We long for peace with God. We, we long to be free from the, the curse of sin and from the oppressive uh, weight of, of the fear of death, right? Uh, we long for purpose and, and meaning and, and explanations for uh, the life that we're living. Who, who are we? What are we here for? You know, we, we long for all those things. Our, our souls are designed to thirst for that. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty, if your soul is thirsty, come to me and drink. I have living water to give. So when you think of it that way, if we are described as the salt of the earth, then we are supposed to be people who inspire thirst for that living water that only Jesus can provide. Uh, with every flavorful act of compassion, with every flavorful act of justice, uh, with every flavorful proclamation of the gospel that we make as Jesus's followers, we are inspiring people to go and drink from the living water, right? To turn to Jesus and find satisfaction. And so it's good for us to think of ourselves like salt that's been sprinkled all throughout the earth to help make people thirsty for God. So we are the salt of the earth. We preserve, we flavor, and we inspire thirst. So that's Jesus's first metaphor of who we are. Let's look briefly at the second metaphor. Second one is similar. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, darkness in scripture is regularly a, a symbol of injustice, of evil, and uh, what you might describe as spiritual lostness, 
And uh, what Jesus is saying here is the world is a dark place, right? There is lots of evil. There is lots of injustice. There is lots of lostness, lots of uh, people who are just stumbling and fumbling their way through existence, uh, like people wandering through the woods uh, with no light. And he says, you, you, my followers, you are the light. You are meant to dispel the darkness. You are, are, are meant to expose evil. Uh, you are meant to right injustice. You are, uh, you're supposed to be like someone who shows up for that person who's stumbling and fumbling through the woods at night, and you've got a lantern, right? And you, you meet them with that lantern, and you smile, and you point uh, in the direction of a, of a path, and you hold out the lantern, and you say, that's the way to go, and that's the way that leads to the living water to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be the light of the world. So, Salt of the earth, light of the world. Jesus says, this is who you are. Now, I want us to notice something. Uh, something that Jesus hints at in both of these metaphors is that even though this is who we are, uh, we, we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. Even though that is who we are, we can make the mistake of not being true to who we are. Right? He, uh, he describes salt as losing its saltiness. Uh, he describes a light as being put under a bowl. And just in case you're wondering what that is, that's not really a familiar metaphor uh, for us. Back in those days, of course, they didn't have electricity. So if you had a lamp, it was a literal flame. Right, And so if you wanted to put out that flame, you'd put a bowl over it, similar to the way that you'd snuff out uh, a candle. And so what Jesus is saying here is it is possible for your true identity to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, but then not to actually be salty, not to help preserve society, uh, not to help make life tastier, not to inspire people to thirst for the living water. It's possible to actually be the light of the world, but not function as the light of the world. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that I think there is always this war within us where we are being pulled away from being who we truly are. Uh, there's this war that's always going on. Uh, if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we have received him into our lives, then our true identity is salt and light. That is who we, we really are. Um, but there's always this pull, always this pull away from that identity. And I think we see this in a lot of churches. And um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to accuse anybody here of anything, but I'm just saying uh, frequently what happens with churches is when they're founded and when they first flourish, um, they are focused on being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, but what happens over time is they start to become inward focused and they lose their focus on that mission, that calling of actually blessing the world, preserving, inspiring thirst, making things more flavorful, right? And what they become is just very insulated and very focused on themselves. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like people in the church fighting over minor points of doctrine. Uh, it might look like people in the church having this whole war over, you know, what color the carpet should be in the sanctuary. Um, it, it could look like um, people in the church prioritizing whatever makes them comfortable rather than whatever helps to 
expand the kingdom of God. Or it could look like people being fixated on maintaining traditions, even those even though those traditions don't really have any value in being salt and light in the world. And I think there have been, uh, there have been whole church denominations that have died out because they became too inward focused, because they lost their sense of mission and purpose. They forgot who they truly are. They forgot that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They lost their saltiness and their light went under a bowl. So what is the remedy for that? How do we resist that pull away from our true identity? Well, part of the way that we resist is simply by reminding ourselves of who Jesus said we really are and by owning that identity. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. And you might say, well, I don't know about that. That sounds kind of arrogant to think that way of myself. And I hear you, <laughs> it feels a little arrogant when I say it, but that's what Jesus calls us, right? We're not, we're not declaring ourselves to be that. We're, we are receiving Jesus's given identity uh, that he, he gives to us when he says that. And keep in mind, the first people that Jesus said this to were the disciples and they were far, far from perfect. Uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a scene where they're all walking along, and the disciples are arguing over which one of them is going to be considered the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, talk about being inward focused, right? And yet, Jesus says to these flawed men, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Now, of course, none of us in our own strength can be the salt of the earth or be the light of the world. But through the Holy Spirit working in us, we can be. And Jesus wants us to believe that. He wants us to see ourselves that way. So when you ask yourself the question, how would I describe myself? Don't just answer uh, with, you know, uh, this is my gender, this is my age, this is my ethnicity. And Definitely don't just uh, think about the qualities about yourself that you admire or the qualities about yourself that you hate. Don't do that. Think, I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. That is my true identity. Believe that, receive that, and live that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you so much that you, uh, you give us this high calling. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us to own it, uh, that you would help us to recognize uh, the, the, the good that can be done, the, the ways that we can bless the world when we trust in you, when we own the identity that you've given us, and when we walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that our church would always be a church that is resisting the pull uh, towards not being salty, um, towards putting our light under uh, a bowl. Help us to resist that pull and instead uh, follow your call uh, towards being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.